Jason Voorhees is my role model and personal hero. One of the few to truly have dedicated his life to something worthy. dear listeners, and welcome to the new Albion Radio Hour. I have a new friend here today. I have a little birdie named David. A little tweety bird that tweets away, keeping me company, singing me sweet songs. Yes, you're a good birdie, David. You're a good birdie. You're Lloyd's good little birdie. He sings like... He doesn't know the worthlessness of existence. That no one is innocent. That no one escapes unbroken. No, he is too stupid. He just tweets away merrily without a care in the world. I wish I were stupid. I wish I could still sing with joy instead of just hollow, empty pretense. All right, Miss... Keep it upbeat. Upbeat! Yes, listeners like uplifting. It is hard, but okay, we can do this. I've prepared a motivational speech for you dear listeners. You like motivation. I like motivation in the form of deadly threats, but we all must try new things, so... Ahem. We're all on a journey. And we've all been down in the dumps before. (laughs) There's an understatement. Wondering if what we're doing is really worth it. It's not, unless it involves genocidal revenge. Then you may be onto something. Wondering if what we're doing is really making an impact. It's not, unless see previous statement about genocidal revenge. But it's important that we are always moving forward. This is a lesson I learned early in life. Moving forward towards death for a lot of you. I remember I was around four years old and I was learning to ride my bike with my uncle and father. Spoiler, I did not write this dribble. Of course, I fell off multiple times while I was learning to cycle, and I remember one time I cut my knee pretty badly. At that point, I really just wanted to quit and go home, but my father told me, You can't quit now. You're almost there. Just try once more. Clearly, you have never met my father. Wish that bastard would have said something mildly encouraging to me, even just once, but... All right, all right, keep going. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard that before, too, right? I've lost the plot here. 
So I got back on that bike. Oh, yes. I didn't want to, but you just need to power through and face your challenges head on. Dear God. Sure enough, that was the first time that I rode that bike without any God damn it, help. After that, I was so glad I kept moving forward and that I never gave up. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I can't do this. I've heard enough terrible bands, enough horrific art, seen enough garbage produced by the, the teeming multitudes of mankind going to work day in and day out just to produce an endless stream of garbage and more garbage, things no one needs, more and more of it, endless landfills just of Garbage discarded practically as soon as it's made. All for this this insane rat race of humankind that cannot even question whether they should consume their world's resources in the name of their idiotic productivity where they, they turn nature into filth-laden garbage and no one will tell them to stop! Give up! Stop it! Put the bike down and stop! Give it up! You are achieving nothing! You're so proud of yourselves for your hyper-achievement! And your hyper-achievement is worthless! Less than worthless! You are achieving the magic of turning good into bad! Beauty into ugliness! The world is better without you! It is better if you stopped and did nothing with your already worthless existence that you are just trying to justify with your worthless hyper-achievement! There! There's your motivational speech! And with that in mind, now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Fazart's Furry Fads. Yes, an entire shop full of worthless furry little trinkets that became an unexpected hit a few months ago and will disappear by this time next year, but... Just like the pet rock and the paleo diet are all the rage for this little meaningless sliver of time. And Phasart, to their credit, is smart enough to milk it and milk you stupid whimpering capitalist simps out of all your hard-earned money. Yes, Phase is getting rich right now selling you idiots furry little balls of fluff. They're not alive like my dear Tweety David here. Yes, you also you are so cute. No, they're just toys. They don't do anything. They, they do look cute. Okay, I'll give them that. They do look cute. Cute enough to sucker you fools in. So, congratulations, Phasart. There really is a sucker born every minute, and you have figured out how to lead them to your trough. I almost respect you. So, if you're looking for a cute little gift to give to someone who will thank you, fawn over it, and then put it somewhere where it will sit for the next five years before you have to consider whether to throw it away, and you know you should, but it's a gift, so you keep it another five years until finally, finally this time, you can just get rid of the damn thing you should have tossed the moment the person who gave it to you left the room, then look no further than Faze Art's Furry Fads for the finest in foolishness. And now, without further ado, The Origin of the August Sky Playhouse, Part 3.
Lloyd Allen and the gang talked every night on the radio. The conversations, however, were usually dominated by Asha and Lloyd, who puzzled over how to proceed. Jill and Michael would often wander the spooky halls of the Abbey, clinging to each other during the really weird wings and giggling like kids exploring an abandoned asylum, although in this case, the asylum wasn't abandoned. In the wings where the hardcore addicts or the particularly far gone stayed, Jill actually shined as a soothing voice of care and sympathy. While Michael had a hard time dealing with people with severe mental illness, although he was always the perfect picture of politeness and manners, and was the first to admit his uncomfortableness was out of fear that it could happen to him, Jill wasn't in the least bothered, had had endless patience to sit with someone while they tried to spit out some string of skewed logic they very much wanted to get across. Jill was thrilled to find some of the intoxicants the Abbey had laying about, but she was no fool. She never went near the dangerous stuff, and in fact spent a good bit of time trying to come up with spells that gave mental clarity. She would try to get Michael drunk so that she could cure him, However, despite her very earnest attempts, spells of this sort were just too difficult to create. She was able, however, to relieve the symptoms of those who had Tourette's-like maladies, and she and Michael would visit certain wings daily to give what respite they could. Asha and Lloyd, meanwhile, came up with a plan. It seems to me that the information in the few pages of William's grimoire is more than you've been given credit for. We know, for instance, that world hopping is indeed possible, and that William was doing it with a small group using symbolic ritual before they had even transcended. I think this is the key. It tells us how to approach the problem. We know there are seven layers to reality, and and you have done a wondrous job of exploring the second level to the extent that, that you guys have. I wonder if the other direction is the way to go. Can we access the fourth layer? Maybe that is how to travel and pop back into third layer space, much like you use the second layer. Yes, said Asha. We know how to exit worlds into second layer space. If we could just exit into fourth layer space once, We'd know how to do it. I mean, Lloyd, you should see this library here. It's huge. There has to be information here, but I can't comb through it all myself. We need to get you here, somehow. If we could just pinpoint your world in second layer space, we could go and get you. Agreed, said Lloyd. But alas, the Order just doesn't know how to deal with second layer space. Still, they've done quite a wonderful job with what they've got. They're wonderful people, as are you and Jill and Michael. I mean, I have to admit, this is all just so wonderful and exciting. I'm so happy right now. I'm tickled pink just to be alive. Don't worry, we'll solve this. Every problem has a solution. There, there is no such thing as failure, only learning experiences. Oh my god, I have an idea, said Asha. What if we can get to you using doorways through third layer space? The general. He guards doors and seems to have extensive knowledge about how to world hop using these doors. He's had all these travels. 
He had a girlfriend in some weird place called Lollyland. He has to know how to get around. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, cried Lloyd. Oh, Asha, you are a treasure. Plus, I'd love to meet him. He could be quite an ally in your, well, our fight against these gnomes. We must save the metaverse. It's just too wondrous and magical to let fall to these terrible creatures. Great. I'll go get the general and bring him back here to talk to you. No, no, Asha, you can't do that. Remember, for everyone else, the door to the abbey is only one way. We don't know if the general is any different. We don't know much about his species, but it would be horrible to bring him there, only for him to be trapped there like everyone else. Oh, some of what Michael has told me about how the residents there end up, so much suffering. It's awful. Perhaps one day, after we deal with the more immediate threat, we can dedicate ourselves to figuring out how to help these poor people. They deserve so much better than this. Oh my goodness, you're right, said Asha. Oh, stupid, stupid, stupid girl. Asha, don't do that to yourself. You're the smartest person I know. I'm a fool half the time, too. We all are, but... Working together, we can correct each other's mistakes. Now, chin up. You're the closest thing to a superhero I've ever met, and don't you forget it. Thus, Asha went to the general and presented her problem. This became a very complicated affair. The general knew quite a bit about doors that led throughout the different strands of reality, but they were a complicated labyrinth in themselves, and pinpointing Lloyd's world was an incredibly different task. This was made even more difficult by the fact that the general agreed that he could not risk crossing into the abbey, and so information had to constantly go back and forth. However, between what Yashva knew about locating order members via radio and what the general knew, they did manage to finally pinpoint Lloyd's world and figure out a door route to get there. Your biggest problem, explained the general, is that last door. It's on a fairly innocuous world with humans just like you, but it's guarded by a cult. It's it's in their secret sanctum. You're going to have to infiltrate the cult. Oh, that's on par for us, said Jill. Well, they're a bit of a, uh, uh, let's just say, uh, uh, which one of you is the most... Um, Promiscuous, the general asked. Both Asha and Jill turned and looked at Michael. Michael just grinned a big, guilty grin. Excellent, <coughs> coughed Jill. Asha giggled. They had rescued him a number of times because he desperately wanted to try to seduce some girl that turned out to be a very bad idea. Well, you're going to have to, you know, <laughs> also, uh, I don't know if you swing, you know. The general got embarrassed. You know, if, uh, because uh, you might have to. Well, said Michael, I really only like the ladies. Well, let's just say you're, you might have to take one for the team, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, said Asha. I'm not really comfortable with jokes that center around non-consent. 
Oh, right. Uh, your generation's a bit more, uh, <laughs> sure, you know, I mean, in my day, we love to make jokes about getting accidentally buggered. <laughs> Good time. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that sort of thing is more about power and dominance than, um, than uh, uh, right. So there's your facts. I can help you as far as... He pointed to a spot on the map Asha had drawn. There. It was agreed that Michael and Jill would go. She would pose as his asexual sister, who would be much more reluctant to enter the cult to avoid her having to enter the inner circle, but she would still be there to provide him much-needed backup. Asha would stay at the Abbey and continue to work with Lloyd. Asha gave Michael and Jill a step-by-step plan as they left, knowing they would completely disregard it. But she had to, because she cared about their safety and couldn't allow them to leave without one. While they were gone, she and Lloyd continued their chats and grew close. Based on his suggestion, she started compiling and reading all the books in the Abbey that dealt with ritual-based fraternal social orders. Sometimes the boy would wander in, sit and listen for a bit, then wander away. Based on the time period he seems to come from, we can surmise the type of orders most prevalent, and those seem to favor spiritual symbolism and narrative mythology, along with rituals where the participants assume almost archetypal identities. And the spiritual symbolism is just a form of archetypal identity placed upon an object. Yes, said Asha, but even the narrative mythology is a type of symbolism. It's like story boiled down to meaningful tropes. There's no attention to depth of character. Each character is simple, and each action is as dramatically meaningful as possible. No time is wasted on normal actions, only the most basic narrative points. Lloyd. William's method has to have used this, and likely taken it further. What if they world hop by creating a potent symbolic scene and then shifting it into another scene, as if you are in one play and suddenly you all shift into a different play? It's a good theory, said Asha. But how to accomplish that shift, if we're even on the right track? She and Lloyd both sat in silence. The boy had taken to dancing about, and Asha watched him for a minute. Lloyd! Lloyd, I've got it! she cried out. What? What? asked Lloyd. Dance! Dance is our glue. Our... Dance is how we transition. We dance our way into another scene, and when we arrive... Perhaps we hop. Oh, Asha, that is a wonderful theory. I would like to try it. Lloyd, dear, you can't. William's group wandered about aimlessly for years. Jill and Michael are headed towards you right now. You can't try it by yourself. It could take a few weeks or a few months, but they'll get there. And if you succeed without knowing what you're doing, you could end up in the gods nowhere. And refinding you could be a nightmare. Ah, yes. See, you always are the more sensible one, Asha. Okay, I agree. I will wait. But, you know, I get nervous about Jill and Michael having to deal with a strange cult. You know my experience. I worry for them. If someone tries to harm them... Now, you know, 
I have no qualms whatsoever about using any method necessary, however extreme, to defend oneself, and neither should they. Of course, it is our moral duty to always protect the innocent, but I, I've seen some terrible people try terrible things, and I would hate to see them have to face that. Don't worry, Lloyd. We've been on so many adventures, and we always pull through. There seems to be something about seeing yourself as the one who always escapes. It sort of makes you into the one who always does escape. That's a very interesting insight, Asha, especially given all we've discussed. We should talk about that. And they did. Eventually, Jill and Michael wound up in the correct world and set about infiltrating the cult. All their adventures had indeed made them well experienced, and, as Asha was starting to come to realize, their ability to fundamentally see themselves as being great in their roles did in fact make them great in their roles. What should have been far more difficult was made oddly easier, as if the world itself was bending to follow a script that accommodated them. Even with this, however, the task of infiltrating the cult still took time and considerable effort. Michael was a bit disappointed by how long it took until he got to participate in the freakier sex rituals, although, as usual, his gift of charm had him wooing in no time. Jill would have liked to have had an erotic dalliance of her own, but alas, her tastes were much more exotic. The cult assumed that she would soften when she met the leader, since to them, alpha males, even ones disguised as wise and gurus, were irresistible. However, not only was Jill not in any way aroused by normalcy, she found alphas particularly distasteful, and got far more enjoyment out of bringing onslaughts of chaos into their otherwise carefully ordered kingdoms. She was sitting even now across the room from where Michael and a fellow devotee were feverishly humping away. She was slightly bored, hoping they'd finish soon so she and Michael could get back to planning the cult's downfall. She was really looking forward to that part. She was reading through their rather dense and purposefully obscure and overwritten materials, looking for all sorts of fun ways she could throw a monkey wrench into things. Are you sure you don't want to join in? called out the nubile devotee as Michael grunted away and Jill rolled her eyes. You do know I'm supposed to be his sister, right? She called back. Stepsister, Michael interjected. But honey, sweetheart, you gotta respect it is not her thing. Oh my God, what is wrong with you people? Jill muttered. She stared at a picture of the great and wise leaders, Kirby and Kerbetta. I am so gonna bring you down. She tried to read a bit longer, getting more and more annoyed by the pants and moans, until finally she stated, Michael, dear, if you or she doesn't finish in the next three minutes, one of the two of you is going to have gas of a very screaming, fiery nature. The squeaking grew frantic until at last the girl made a very loud and obnoxious conclusion. Afterwards, Michael was gentle and polite, but nevertheless whisked her away. He sat down next to Jill. Okay, your patience is about up, I take it. I'm sorry, she said. I totally respect your right to have fun, but it's been two months and I'm getting bored and they don't let you drink or smoke. 
We know where the doorway is. We know who is the key. We just need a diversion. And with your next Apocalypse ceremony coming up, I have just the thing. Thus it was that at the ceremony where Michael was due to attain QST1 status, Jill agreed to commit to ACU status. Now, supposedly, when a devotee attains the higher statuses, they attain spiritual abilities. This is usually mostly the actual devotee mentally fooling themselves a bit. And Michael was still not in the true top-tier circle, but they decided it was good enough. The entire cult assembled into the great sanctum to witness their enlightened leaders, Kirby and Kerbetta, bestow upon the worthy their next ascension rank. All was going well. Michael came up to make his devotion and get his sash. As Kirby lowered the sash upon Michael, Michael widened his eyes. Ma, my lord, I do, why, I do feel something. A halo of light lit up his head. The crowd gasped. Kerbetta looked to Kirby, who himself looked shocked and unsure. Why, oh my, I, I feel the light. I feel the presence of the divine light, Michael shouted as he rose into the air. The crowd immediately fell to their feet and started praying, weeping, laughing, and rejoicing. Kirby and Kerbetta just stood there slack-jawed. The light... It moves through me. Oh, come on, said Jill. You ate enough beans. It takes a moment, muttered Michael. Oh, how the light doth fill me. Oh, hang on. Here we go. And with that, Michael let out gas. An enormous, screaming fire demon roared from his butt and shrieked an unholy shriek as it filled the stage. Best damn spell I ever made, said Jill. She started reciting again. All the candles in the room, of which there were a great many, all suddenly grew mouths, opened them, and sang Yahoo Doris while dancing around the room. From the great incense bowl, a black smoke demon arose, enormous, and hovered over Kirby and Kerbetta. The infernal hell oath has come to fruition. You have delivered the souls we asked for to the reaping. We thank you, douchebag and douchebaguette. Let the damnation commence. A great wail of doom metal began, a form of music unknown to this particular strand, as the entire room lost their shit. Michael lowered back onto the floor, casually grabbed a golden key from around Kirby's neck and sauntered off to the back of the room where Jill was putting more words in the black smoke demon's mouth, now just improvising. All right there, Maleficent, let's get moving. The two of them laughed as they ran down to the basement and opened the great forbidden door. It was indeed a doorway. It did indeed lead to Lloyd's world. And although the return journey was not without trouble, they did indeed bring Lloyd Allen to the decadent Abbey. It's barely music, and I hate it, but I play it for you fools anyway. Here it is.
Jolie I'm begging of you Please don't take my man Jolene, 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 Jolene Please don't take him just because you can Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald Like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain And I cannot compete with you, Jolene Jolene, 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 Jolene I'm begging of you, please don't take my man Jolene, Jolene Jolene, Jolene Please don't take him just because you can An older version of me, is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently and would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother Cause the love that you gave that we made wasn't able to make enough for you to be open wide Oh no! And every time you speak names, you know how you told me you hold me until you died Till you died, but you're still alive and I'm here To remind you of the mess you left when you went away It's not fair to deny me of the cross I bear that you gave to me Yo, yo, you ought to know Jolene, 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 Jolene I'm begging you, please don't take my man Jolene, 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 Jolene Don't take him just because you can Begging you, please don't take my man I'm begging of you, please don't take my man